Yeah, yeah, yeah. Knock it off. You know what I'm saying. Good morning, everybody. Welcome online. I'm glad you're here. Uh, I, uh, look at your bulletin there. I, I, we pass them out so you'll look at them. And it's the most ambitious title I've ever had in my life. The name of this, uh, we're, I'm doing a series called It's All in Your Head, and today is Beating Anxiety. So after my 35-minute talk, you will never be anxious for anything ever again. Who thinks that could be just a little ambitious? You know, and uh, I could have said, getting a little better. Maybe I should have named it that, but I, uh, I sent the notes in on Tuesday or Wednesday morning, whatever day it is, and I uh, put beating ambition or beating anxiety, and, uh, and when I saw it again Saturday, when I looked at it, I thought, well, it could be a little ambitious, you know what I'm saying, but uh, to think you're going to solve it, because I know there are no simplistic answers to mental health issues, and I'm not trying to cover it all, but I think I've got some keys that can help you. So I didn't want to say helping anxiety because God knows anxiety doesn't need any help. We do pretty good on our own. So let's just get with it. Number one, learn when and how to make a mountain out of a molehill. There's sometimes you need to make a mountain out of a molehill and sometimes you need to just knock it off. But learning when and how, and everybody knows how to make a mountain out of a molehill if you've ever had children that you've potty trained. How many you know the first couple times they use the big boy potty, you say, yay, yay, do the happy dance. And Jeff <laughs> was so proud that he wanted to save so I could see it. So when I'd come in from work, he would uh, make sure his mother showed me, and then I would do the happy dance, and we would celebrate all over. And we even had a little song, but uh, he's 42 now, so I won't sing that song anymore. Because the truth of it is, what gets rewarded gets repeated. Now, sometimes people make mountains out of molehills, and they shouldn't. But I think anytime you can do a positive gotcha, you ought to make a mountain out of a molehill. Even if a little kid picks up something, yeah, you know how to pick up toys. I didn't know you knew how to do that. And so, uh, because the, the truth of it is, Paul in first, uh, 2 Corinthians 13, 1, quotes a, an Old Testament, uh, 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 not just a law, but a principle. And he says, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, Every word will be established. James says your mouth is like a rudder. And so you set the pace on what you encourage. Or, or the negative, negative reinforcement, you can just become a nag. And nobody wants to do that. But by positive reinforcement, it sets the rudder of a ship. Romans 10.9 says, if you declare with your mouth. And I can't hardly read this without thinking, did anybody watch The Office? Michael Scott? Anybody ever watch that? I tell you, really and truly, that show made me so nervous because it's so weird that I had to quit watching it because I didn't enjoy it because I know that kind of stuff goes on in an office all the time. Anyway, Michael Scott was having, he's, anybody know the office? Okay, good. I hope I'm not just talking to myself here. But anyway, he uh, was having some financial trouble and one of his coworkers said, you should go declare bankruptcy. And so he thought, okay. So he goes in his office and he says, I declare bankruptcy. Nothing happened, so he says, I declare bankruptcy. And finally, one of the co-workers said, you know, Mike, it's, it's not that easy. you got to do more than just declare bankruptcy. And so when, with, you, with your mouth, you declare Jesus is Lord. I know some people think you're not even a Christian if you don't say, Jesus is Lord. That's not true. There's lots of ways to declare that he's your Lord. I vote my life to Christ. Water baptism is, is, is one way. I tell you, receiving communion. We're not this morning, but when we receive communion, if you're not, if you've never opened your heart to God, what a wonderful first step 
to declare in your own way that Jesus is your Lord. And if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Well, what about believing in this and believing in that? What about the Old Testament stories and this and that? I tell you, if you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, that's belief enough. Do you know that in this room this morning, and especially you online, my word, you'd be surprised what people believe listening to me today. I won't even go off on what some people believe, but it doesn't, it matters, I suppose, because it affects your life. But the truth of it is, if you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, Paul says, that's good enough. And with your mouth, you would make that kind of a statement uh, that you declared Jesus as your Lord, verse 10, for it is with your mouth that you believe and are, with your heart you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth you profess your faith and are, and are saved. The word saved means delivered, transformed, changed. You're changed by the things you say. It's so powerful. It takes me to point number two. Learn. Guys, if you're going to defeat anxiety, learn that praise usually precedes peace. What do you mean, Delmer? Okay, Paul's in a, in a Roman jail right into the, uh, the church of Philippi. That's why they call it Philippians. And so he writes to them, and it used to be a song we all used to sing back in the olden days, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Anybody old enough to remember that? And humble enough to admit it. <laughs> back in the olden days before we, uh, we had scripture songs, and we thought that was the best because the Baptists didn't do that, and we were one up on them. Anyway, not really. it's, that was one of the songs we sing, rejoice, rejoice. So Paul says this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And I think, guys, listen to me, this is important. I think it's cause and effect. I think this is a matter of cause and effect. When I see the effect of something, I'm always looking upstream for the cause. What made that happen? What made that person do that? How come I did that? Why do I think that? I'm always looking for cause and effect. And so I think this is a matter of cause and effect. It sets the direction. And then he says in verse 6, don't be anxious about anything. What? Don't be anxious about anything? Paul, do you live in the real world? Yeah, Paul was in jail, matter of fact. Perhaps facing execution. He didn't at that time, but he did later. So he says, don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation... By prayer and petition, and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Man, I don't know what we're going to do. We've tried everything, and I guess that's all we can do now is pray. <laughs> really? <laughs> prayer is not your last line of defense. It's your first line of offense. First of all, get your, Paul says, get your thinking straight. Get out of the negative gutter. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And then he says, don't be anxious for anything. But in everything, with prayer and petition. Another, the old King James was supplication. Petition, pour it out. Pour it out. Pour it out to God. With prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Verse 7, and the peace of God which transcends all understandings will guard your heart's and minds in Jesus Christ. What I really need in the workaday world that I live in, I need my mind and my heart to be guarded. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and the issues of life flow out of the heart, and what I need to be guarded more than anything, my body, obviously, I don't want to get hurt, but my mind and how I think 
in my heart and what goes on in that because that will, really will determine much of what happens to me. See, not only does prayer move the heart of God, but it also changes the chemistry in your brain. I'm not a neurologist, but I've, I've read Dr. Carolyn Leaf and read some other stuff, and I think I understand some of this that I want to talk to you about today. Caroline Leaf says if you pray for 12 minutes a day for a period of eight weeks, your brain will change enough to show up on a brain scan. Like I said, I'm not a neurologist. That's what she said, and she is one of those because our brain is always changing. It is the most change, uh, healable organ we have in our body. Your brain can change itself. It can rewire itself. Maybe you were raised in negative and, and doubt and unbelief and all this kind of stuff, but your brain can be rewired, and it can happen because it, it's a thing they call neuroplasticity. It's toxic negative thoughts hurt your brain. Prayer heals, transforms, and renews your brain. See, I think we become our own worst enemy when we fight the chemistry in our own body. Who's ever raised children and knows that chemistry changes when they hit about junior high? All the little boys, and from when they're 10 years old, or maybe 8 to 10 or 12, they have what they call the girl hater club. No girls allowed. This is a treehouse of all only boys. No girls allowed. And somehow, it's a miracle. I don't know how it happens, but somehow when they, well, boys, girls, they're 11, 12 years old, but boys, when they hit 12, 13 years old, something happens and they love girls finally. And they'll let the girls into the, into the club. And some of the boys that are a little slower developing, they'll say, I thought we had no girls. And the guy says, shut up. Girls welcome. And how many of you know, I remember the first time this ever happened to me. Jeff was about 13, 14, whatever, whatever he was. We were driving down the road, and he and I were just talking, 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 talking. Matter of fact, we were driving down the road, and I was talking, talking, talking. And, and I realized he wasn't listening, and he was looking off to the side. And I thought, what's he doing? And I, so I'm talking, and I look off to the side, and there were some 13-year-old girls over there. And I thought, what's he doing? And I thought, oh, the time has come. Hormones have kicked in. And so if you try to fight that, who's lived long enough to know you were in for a losing battle? Because that's just going to, you got to, it's not a matter of fighting. I remember, I'll never forget it. I was, we started Christian school in Nogales a uh, hundred years ago, and we had, uh, we had training for our Christian school. And so we go to this training, and one of the things they talk to us about is making sure there's no flirtation with the opposite sex. And this is, junior high, high school kids, and I said, no flirtation with the opposite sex. And these are really straight Christian people, you know what I mean? I said, do you want them to flirt with the same sex? <laughs> they did not think it was that funny. <laughs> and me being a younger man than I am right now, said it anyway. And so the, the truth is, there, there's chemicals, and I want to talk to us about that today. But I want to talk first about selective memory. Number three, learn to defeat the selective memory syndrome and it's amazing the children of Israel come out of Egypt and they were enslaved there just terrible things go on there and so as they're coming out the uh, there's a rabble the, the kind of a kind of a cross uh, people with them and they start complaining about uh, well let me just read it the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites begin to crave the good things of Egypt and the people of Israel also begin to complain these guys got influenced don't get influenced Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. We remember the fish we used to eat for free. You understand, you were slaves. 
These guys would whoop you and beat you. You understand that. Have you forgotten that? For in Egypt, we had all the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, garlic we wanted. But now our appetites are gone. And it's all we ever see is this manna. Yuck. I wish the good old days were here. Solomon says the good old days weren't that good old days. Especially if you're a woman in ministry. Now, Foursquare has always been friendly with women in ministries because our founder was a woman, but not every denomination has. Is My mom was a wonderful preacher. They're both dead so I can say it. Perhaps better than my dad. She was good. I'm sorry, no women preachers. So Ms. Gizzi, she can, she can teach the Sunday school and the children. She can do the youth. She can do the women's Bible study. And I, tell, I don't think grandma, I call her grandma, would want the good old days to come back. I tell you, for some ethnic groups, I don't think they want the good old days to come back. For some, the good old days weren't that good old days. If you're a single parent, you better glad you're not in the good old days because you come to church and you're a single parent and what's wrong with you? God help you if you're divorced. You try to come into an evangelical church, a Pentecostal church, and sometimes you are ostracized, just removed because after all, something's the matter with you and you're not going to get your eyes on my husband. I'm not so sure those people would want the good old days. It's amazing how we have selected memories. Look at Psalm 78, 11. He said, they forgot what God had done. How? They forgot what God had done. The wonders he had shown them, the miracles he did in sight of their ancestors. And you wonder, why did they forget? And then you wonder, why do we forget? Why do we forget what God's done? I think these guys, they were promised a land flowing with milk and honey, and they've not seen that. And they're wandering around in this desert, and the pressure, and the heat, and you don't see where you're going, you don't see what was promised to you, and if you're not careful, you get really hard and callous, don't you? You know how you make a diamond? You take coal and put it under tremendous pressure. And in the day that we live, I'll bet you some of you in your jobs, in your families, in whatever it is you do, are under all kinds of pressure. And the danger of that, guys, is to get incredibly rigid and hard and calloused and forget what God has really done. Thank you. So what do you do? You say, I'm not, not asking, don't answer me. What do you do? Or don't you have any pressure? Well, Pastor, we're not like you that just live in the, you know, in, the, in the church world and giggle and laugh all day and read your Bible and pray. We have pressure in our jobs. <laughs> don't raise your hand. Does anybody live with pressure? Not sure about the, the, the changes coming on to our nation. Not sure about your job security moving forward. Not really sure about your marriage moving forward. So what do you do to keep you and the pressure cooker that you're in to keep from becoming hard? God's truth is, guys, that is my concern. Not that I'm about sin and those kinds of things, but that's not my really concern. 
my concern in the pressure world that I live in is developing a really hard heart. If you don't have rhino skin, the skin of a rhinoceros, I don't think you're going to make it hardly at all because people throw darts and spears and, and attacks all the time. And if you don't learn to let that roll off and fall from you, you're going to be dead before you get out of the room. How many know what I'm talking about? But if that rhino skin ever goes inward and that becomes your heart, see, that's why you guard your heart and your mind. If your mind ever gets set and this is the way it has to be, this is God. Ooh, God's really varied. And God blesses all kinds of people that I thought he was going to smite. So what do you do? See, for me, I want to, uh, I set personal linchpin monuments. I remember the day when I was so scared of what may not be. I didn't know, I was almost paralyzed with fear. I'm not now, but I remember the day. I remember the day when I was so broke, I could not pay my own utility bill. Jesus, what am I going to do? And I felt so alone. In the middle of a crowd, felt so alone that if Jesus himself hadn't come to me, I don't know what I would do. I don't know what I would have done. So I set linchpin monuments. I don't live there, but I visit there. See, the trouble with some is they live there. And I'm not going to live there. Maybe I'm moving forward. But sometimes I come back and I visit that time when Jesus came through for me and became all that I ever needed, provided for me in ways that I did not think possible facing issues that I could not get around. And Jesus himself came to me. So how do I keep from forgetting those? Tell you what I do, and I want to give you a little illustration of it. There's songs that I sing. I won't sing them to you now because I can't sing, but I can sing in the car. And there's one in particular that's a linchpin song for me. It's an old song. Amy Grant, if you remember her, something that's new, but it, she's been around a while. And she sings a song that I want you to hear this morning. So, guys, if you'll roll that video, please. <laughs>
I do that and about 30 more songs. See, I don't live there. And I never think, oh, they done me wrong and he did this and she did that. And no, 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 no. Jesus, when I was there, you came through for me. And I'm not broke anymore. And I'm not alone anymore. I got lots of friends, obviously, but God is with me. And he is the one that makes the difference. See, because the truth is we get in a mindset and it's who's got all day long to make a decision? Who lives in the world where decisions are coming all the time and you've got to just make them and go and hope it's right and on and on and on. See, go to Romans 8, 6. It says the mind controlled by the sinful nature is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. The old King James says to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. To be carnally minded, to be natural minded, is, it brings anxiety, brings all kinds of death, does not bring peace. But the mind that is set on the spirit brings life and peace. I think we've got a model that, that we just, you know, I've heard it said and I've said it. You know, God's not going to put gas in your gas tank. You've got to do that yourself. You know, God's not going to do what you can do. He'll do what you can do. And so we have a model of kind of doing for ourselves. And I'll say, I'll make this happen, and I'll, I'll, I'll make sure this happens, and we're supposed to do some things, and I understand that. But if we don't watch it, we become in charge of our own life. And we approach things from a natural way of thinking. When you got a problem, well, I'll show you how to fix it. And sometimes we never consult the Lord. God, is this you in this? Is this you talking to me through my child, through my unbelieving co-worker? God, are you talking to me? See, because we're so used to doing what you can, taking great, and it's not a bad thing to be a resourceful person, a person that can do. But if that's as far as it goes, then you become very dependent on yourself, and you become very independent of the God that wants to help you, the God that wants to be with you, the God that wants to open doors for you, and the God that wants to let you see things as he does. Because when we see things like we do, we become somewhat anxious. See, I think anxiety is a symptom 
It's a fruit and not the root. It's a fruit of on our own. And the truth of it is, I'm as smart as the next guy, but I don't want to be on my own. Lord, I don't want to face life's challenges. Lord, I don't want to build a church. I don't want to develop a school on my own, with my own strength, with my own intellect, with my own ability. Lord, I am really dependent on you. I think that's how you don't forget. I think you have little monuments. You build in your own mind, and you go back there as often as you need to to help you remember who he is. Number four, learn to manage the tools God has given you. How your body works is a part of God's incredible creation. 31 years ago, when I, when I first came to Life Community, Foursquare was having a conference in, in Southern California, and so I went to it not knowing what to expect, and a guy by the name of Dr. Archibald Hart was speaking at this thing, and he was a psychologist, and he was really good, and he talked about managing your adrenaline, and I thought, what? He gave a whole lesson and, and a whole little series on managing your adrenaline, and that he said that we preachers, and when he was talking, he was just reading my mail. He said, back in the days, you used to have Sunday, we used to have double service on Sunday morning, and then Sunday night, who remembers Sunday night? If you didn't go to Sunday night, you really couldn't go to heaven. Anyway, we'd have service on Sunday morning, and then I was preaching both services, and then Sunday night, and after Sunday, man, I was as high as a kite. And I was anointed, and I thought, where's the devil? Let me at him. And then come Monday morning, I was as depressed as could be and wondered if the devil was going to get me. Whoever thought you could beat the devil after Sunday morning, and then on Monday he gets you. You think you got the devil by the tail, then you realize he has you by the tail. And so I'm not an expert at this, but I want to talk to you about some things that I think I partially understand. Are you confident with that? Get it, folks. Okay, there are some, there are some chemicals in our, in our blood system, neurotransmitters, there's hormones, there's all kinds of things that if you learn how to cooperate with them, I think it's half the battle. And what I learned to do with adrenaline, I learned to manage my highs and my lows, and so I could just balance out, and I learned not to hit those terrible lows because I never got that terribly high, and I learned to manage all those kinds, uh, some of those kind of things, and I'm learning every day. The first one I want to talk about is endorphins. That's what they call, it's, a, it's, a, it's only an endorphin, it's the only purpose it has is to block pain. They call it the, the runner's high. It's the second wind. When a guy's running and he runs out of gas, as it were, and he's just tired, all of a sudden endorphins kick in and it blocks pain and that guy's got energy or that lady has energy and strength to go the extra mile, as it were, and to finish the race. And in sports, athletes, that's what Kyler Murray hurts his ankle during the game and finishes the game. And you say, how did he do that? I tell you, endorphins kicked in and he didn't feel any pain till when? After the game. J.J. Watt hurt his shoulders, tore up his shoulders, played the game, and then after the game, all of a sudden, the pain sets in because endorphins kick in, and you don't feel the pain. That's why they're there for, is that you could just go ahead and finish the game and uh, let the Cardinals win, because God's really concerned about that. <laughs> Somebody wanted to meet with me today, and I said, well, let me check, and the Cardinals don't play till two. So I said, Sure. Now, the next one is dopamine. I've been talking a little bit about dopamine. It's the feel-good drug. It's the it, it's highly addictive. We'll talk about the highly addictive in a minute. It's when you, get, when you do positive things. 
bing, you get a shot of dopamine. Ah, you feel good. Good job, good job. When someone says to you, compliments you, and they say, my, you look nice. Have you lost weight? And you lie through your teeth. Well, yes, I have. But when they say you look nice or you look young or old, depends on which side of the, you're, you're trying to get to, it's, uh, it, it feel, it's, a, it's a compliment. Boom, there's a little shot of dopamine there. It's like a reward. It's like instant gratification. They just say it, and, and all of a sudden, it's, it, you feel good and things are good. That's why we like to-do lists. Who likes to-do lists? Oh, I make to-do lists. And then, because when I make a to-do list, there can be 10, 15 things on that. But man, I'm telling you, I'm going through the day, check, check, check. And every time I check one off, bing! The other day I was doing it, my, I was working along, and I did something that was not on my to-do list, and I did it. And so I, when I got back to the office, I put it on the to-do list and checked it off. <laughs> oh, yes. Because I wanted to let myself know that, hey, hey, I'm not just sitting around here. I'm, I'm making things happen. That's why those, those motivational people tell you to, to write down your goals. If you don't write them down, you won't do them. You know why if you write them down? Because when you t check one off, ding, there's that dopamine. Yes, yes, I've accomplished something. Ding, that thing inside of you that makes you feel good is a little hormone called dopamine. It's a good thing, not a bad thing. However, my dear friend, it can be highly addictive. One of the main sources for the culture of dopamine is alcohol, nicotine, drugs, gambling, pornography, because if you're feeling kind of low, what you need is a good stiff drink, and I tell you, it'll bing, pop you right up. A little discouraged, go gambling. It's kind of exciting because you might win the million dollars and then you could give to the church like you've always wanted to. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. I really have. What's addicting is social media. The whistleblower coming out from Facebook has made a big deal about people addicted to their phones. Don't raise your hand when you're in your own house and you go from one room to the next, who takes your phone with you? Just in case somebody wants to text you. I'm not saying you're addicted, but you just might be. That's why for teenage girls, social media is so dangerous because they get, they get shamed, nobody likes me, I hate it, and they just get depressed and have all kinds of problems. You know what that is? That's the lack of dopamine when they're looking for something and it's not there, it's very depressing. I... I, I I'm not know this is true, but I believe it. Isn't it funny how ADHD is, is quite the rage anymore? It's up 66%. What ADHD is, is when you can't focus. You're too distracted. It's a frontal cortex type of, of, of problem, frontal brain cortex type of problem. And so they diagnose it, they give you a little pill for it, and that's great. If you're on it, take it, I'm sure that's wonderful. But the truth is, I think it could just be distracted living. The whole generation has been raised without one lick of focus because they're always bing, 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 addicted to dopamine. Causes all kinds of problems. Distracted. Workplace has a different way of doing it. They're going to give you a little more money. Really? Ding. 
we're going to give you a $10 raise and give you $100 worth of responsibility. <laughs> wow, what a deal. You betcha for the employer. But yet, because you're addicted to that, you're going to take it and a little more title, a little more money, and a little more money, and we just like mullets are saying, yes, 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 addicted to dopamine. What dopamine does, too much of it, destroys relationships. Ask the family member of an alcoholic. The people addicted to that will do anything to get another hit, another shot. Ask families of people who are addicted to gambling, compulsive gamblers that, that throw it all away gambling. Ask what it does for personal family relationships. It's not a good thing. Good preaching, Pastor. Well, thank you. Amen. See, I just need a little shot of dopamine right there. <laughs> the other one, serotonin. Now, serotonin is one of the good ones. It's that thing that makes you feel like you belong. It's that sense, not pride in a bad way, but a sense of, 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 of esteem, of status. When your child walks across the, the, the stage here, there'll be 60, 75 seniors at your graduate high school right here. The place is full of parents and grandparents, and it's so cute because all the high schoolers, they're going to change the world. You know, the next month, they'll change the whole world. And so just get ready because June's coming, and the world will be changed because these kids are going to graduate from high school. But when they get that diploma, there's that sense of, ah, you know what that is? That's serotonin. And for mom and grandma who helped make that happen, there's that sense, ah, that's my girl. That's my boy. I'm the president of Leading Edge, and I speak every year, and I'm tempted. I'm not going to, but I've often tempted to congratulate the graduates for completing the easiest time in life you're ever going to have. <laughs> oh, we made it. Oh, my word. And you're ready now to change the world, and I don't share that only in church with us old people. <laughs> but serotonin is what you feel when you belong. It's the band of brothers, as it were. It's when, when people get, get, get the awards, the, the, the Emmys or the Oscars or whatever, they get, they get the award, and then they stand and say, I'd like to thank God, because I couldn't have done it without him, and my parents and my manager and my team and my whatever, whoever they think, because they realize what they got, they did not get on their own, and they share it with other people, and it's a wonderful, wonderful drug that in your body that makes you feel close together. It's the team that wants to win for the coach. Win one for the gipper. Win one because our, our coach, and, and we love our coach, and we love our school, and we love our owner, whatever it is, and they win, and then they hand the trophy to the owner, to the coach, because that's what they're winning for. Now, you can trick serotonin for a while, and that it gives you esteem, it gives you status. So what you can do, you can buy status for a while. And people do it all the time. They need that, and so rather than having relationships that provide that, they just buy brand names. Because you wear the right kind of brands. The right kind of shoes, Gucci shoes, heaven's sakes. Guest jeans. After all, that's just the top of the top. And so it may make you feel that way for a while, but it has the same effect that dopamine does, and it needs more and more and more. And what, uh, what serotonin does for us 
is it supersedes dopamine. See, dopamine says, I need it now, and instant gratification, need now, 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 now. And people with enough serotonin working in your life, a church with enough serotonin working in the congregation, you don't need instant gratification because you feel part of the great group of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can delay gratification for a long time because serotonin is filling up your life. And it's not the cheap thrills that you're needing because those deep level needs are met. And it's a chemical in your body that's doing it for you. And if you'll understand that, that it's working mightily in you. I thought the Lord did that. Yes, he does. Does he manipulate all these things? Yes, he does. So it works mightily within you. Deep-seated confidence. So selfishness, strife, warring doesn't have a place. That's why one of my mantras around here at Life Community, you belong before you believe. Maybe you're here watching me online and, and you don't really believe all this Christian stuff. That's okay. Jesus was, Paul was very clear, believe in the resurrection, don't you? He said, that's enough to get in. You belong before you believe. I, I don't, I, I do care, but it doesn't matter as much all kinds of things that people believe. The issue of relationship is belonging. Oxytocin, another one of these wonderful, it's, it's, it's what bonds mothers and babies it's that thing that really causes uh, labor to begin. It's love and safety, where trust is. And one of the ways to, to spread oxytocin is through physical touch, appropriate physical touch. Remember when the pandemic, or maybe you're still there now, no one shook hands, it's the fist bump. And then they say, they'll never shake hands again. Right. <laughs> the world has changed forever. Right. And so I'm not talking, if you're not a hugger, that's fine. If you're not a handshaker, that's fine. If you're a fist bumper, that's fine. But the, one of the ways it's, it's passed is through physical touch. When you're making a business deal, you're hiring somebody, and you, think, I, you say, I think this is going to work before pandemic, I understand. And you reach out your hand, and they say, no, no, I don't shake. You say, how come? Well, I, I signed the contract. We're making the deal. I just don't want to shake on it. What do you think? Huh. Huh. Not that you killed the deal. Don't make the sale. Don't hire the company. It's, it's not that. But there's something in you that says, I would like to cement this thing with trust. I would like to do more than just signatures on a paper. I would like to cement this thing. What, 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 what creates is acts of human generosity. You would have thought Jesus would have known about this because he said, let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven, that they might experience that oxytocin. Let them see your good works. And it's got to be personal. Did anybody here, when you got your stimulus check, say, oh, I love America. I feel so close to them. And I just love that President Biden. He's done so much for me. And I, when you got your check, no, not many. Maybe you did, and it's great if you did. Now, you cashed the checks, didn't you? You put them in the bank. You might have thought, this is ridiculous to give this kind of money. Honey, let's go to the bank. <laughs> but it's personal generosity. When someone that you esteem a value gives you their time, 
gives you their kindness, spends energy to help you, spends their own money, not just allocates money from a fund that they have, spends their own money to help you. Sacrificial deeds for people create that. It boosts the immune system, makes you healthier and happier. And the last one I want to talk about is cortisol. Now, cortisol is that, uh, we've talked a little bit about that too, is that anxiety-causing drug in your life. It's like the herd of antelope. You've seen the Discovery Channel, and all the antelope are just chowing down, eating their head to the ground, and all of a sudden one says, ah! He heard the stick break, thought he might have seen a lion, so he says, ah! He says, what's wrong with Larry? I don't know. So all the rest of the animals, ah! They didn't see anything. They didn't hear anything. But all of a sudden, everybody becomes aware. Why? Because it's very contagious. Larry, <laughs> pretty soon everyone, <laughs> and then they look around, and maybe one of them sees a lion. Maybe one of them sees a log, but he thinks it's a lion. And they all take off running, and they all run off, and they run to live another day. Good system if you're an antelope. Bad system if you work in the office with somebody that's full of it. And every time you walk in, there's a, ah. <laughs> Or did you ever go to church where they say the whole world's going to hell in a basket and we're doomed for good? Ah. And all of a sudden, everyone's just, ah. Go to church scared to death because after all, I've been hearing hell in a basket all my life. Who remembers when the communists were going to bomb us and we had to get our hands and knees and stick our heads under the desks so we would be safe from the atom bomb? Anybody remember that one? Oh, my word. No wonder we got a whole culture of paranoid people. That's why I'm not going to get off on all that kind of stuff. You could go politics. You could go all kinds of stuff any day of the week. And what you're really doing is throwing your cortisol all over everybody. And everybody leaves the place going, ah. Instead of the peace and the love of God, everyone leaves nervous. And I just won't do it. Nor do I put up with it. For some people, drama, strife, is just normal. It's just normal, just the way they live. Cortisol makes you feel unsafe, keeps everybody on edge. Some of you live with people that are full of it, and they're always just, things are terrible, things are awful, things are going to get worse. Cheer up, they probably will. See, I want to pastor a place where serotonin and oxycotin, not oxycotin, oxytocin abound. Abound. Where people feel they belong, feel safe. That God's watching after them. That God's going to take care of it. Well, pastor, I just think you're saying that because it's true. I am. Number five, I'll wrap it up. To defeat anxiety, learn to distinguish between what's God's responsibility and what's mine. Look what 1 Peter 3, 5 says. Quietly trust yourself to Christ as the Lord of your life. Quietly trust yourself to Christ as Lord of your life. We obey to the best of our ability, and then we trust God with the outcomes. We trust his timing. We trust his ways, because inevitably... The ways the Lord does things are way different than I would have ever planned them. His schedule is always different than mine. 
So I am trusting Jesus for the outcomes of my life. I obey, I obey what I can, what, what I know to do. Do what you know to do and trust God with the rest. Jeremiah, come on up. We're going to wrap it up. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. See, it's actually arrogant to try to play God in somebody else's light. It's actually arrogant to try to play God in somebody else's life. If you've got little children at home, you have to play God. You are God to them. Feed them. Tell them what's right. Tell them what's wrong. Direct them, guide them, all that kind of stuff. But if you've got grown children and you're still trying to play God in somebody else's life, it's really the height of arrogance. Don't do that. You're going to cause yourself lots of anxiety. So he says, humble yourself, verse 6, therefore under God's mighty hand, that he might lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Allow God to be God and to carry you. Pastor, I've been saved a long time. I know, me too. Allow God to carry you. Allow God to direct you. Allow God to be Jehovah Jireh, the one that provides for you. Well, Pastor, I've got a good job, and I, I know what I'm doing here. That's I, good for you. I'm, I'm happy for you. Allow God to do that for you. Casting all your anxiety on him. See, I think it's, it's symptomatic. The more anxiety I carry, I think the more of God I'm trying to be where I'm really not supposed to be. Jesus says, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day will have enough trouble of its own. Don't stack your problems. We've stacked problems five years out and worried about things now that won't even come around for years. Well, Pastor, you've got to take care of business. I understand that. But Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. God takes care of you. Take action. No action will cause you more stress than not. Take action. Do what you're supposed to do. Do your part. And then let God do his part. So maybe you're here this morning and your part is you've never really opened your life to Christ. Or maybe you've not done that in years. You realize if I've been talking, you just kind of a good person, a church person maybe, and not all that kind of good stuff. But maybe through whatever, you kind of closed your heart off to Jesus. And you realize he's standing there again, talking to you. Maybe you're online here. Maybe you're in some coffee shop somewhere. Maybe you're at home. And you realize God's talking to you. And you're trying to make this on your own. But you really don't have to. You really don't have to do that on your own. He is here to carry you and to be God to you. And that's what he wants for you, that's what I want for you. So we're getting ready to sing. And as we sing, you can say, Lord, by singing this song, I'm making that mine. And I open my life to you. I open my life to you. 
If you've never done that or haven't done that, why don't you do it this morning? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for all these dear people that are here. Those who have tuned in online, oh Lord, thank you. For those that are picking this up sometime this week, this month, this year, next year, Lord, that you have arranged a special time for them and where they're at at the time that you chose them to help them. Bless, I pray, in Jesus' strong name, amen.